Amen. Thanks, Joe. So good morning. Wow. I can try that again. Pat, I'm feeling for you. This is a, this is a dull group today, aren't they? <clears throat> uh, so good morning. Let's try that again. Yep. Thank you. That's good. Uh, by the way, that was an accordion. She's playing an accordion. I mean, how cool is that? I, I, I told Molly the other day, she's like, uh, we're going to play the accordion. I said, well, I'll bring my plates and we'll throw them on the ground. We'll do a big fat Greek wedding. Because that's what I think of when I think of an accordion. It's pretty cool. Anyway, thanks, Molly, for that. Um, so my name's Jonathan. I'm one of the uh, pastors here uh, at Redeemer City. And we're in a series uh, on the so-called incommunicable attributes of God. It's our, our summer series. Uh, and so I'd invite you to look at the, the insert with me. I'm going to read the scriptures as, as we have been kind of topically looking at different attributes. And so we've had various scriptures each week that we've been uh, working through. So let me read to you, if you would follow along, either in your Bible uh, or just on the insert there. From Psalm 139, from 1 Corinthians 8 and 13, and then Ephesians uh, 3. So hear the word of the Lord. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he's known by God. Love, from, uh, and then from uh, chapter 13, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And then from Ephesians 3, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Uh, this is God's word. And as I said, we're in the middle of this uh, series. I hope each week you have been filled with awe and wonder or led to be filled with awe and wonder. You've left full of that as we have looked at the ways God is not like us and we are not like him. Uh, these are characteristics, again, so-called incommunicable characteristics of God, things that he has that we were not intended to have. But as we've learned each week, we sinfully grasp for those characteristics and life gets all out of whack as a result of that. And instead, what the gospel calls us to is to embrace a humanness, our humanness, a limit, 
uh, limitedness, to relax, to trust, to find power and faith to live in those limits. And today we've come to, as Joe prayed earlier, the first of these omnis, three ways in which God is different from us that we have this prefix omni on. Uh, Many of you have heard these words before, but when we put the prefix omni on a word, we add this sense of all or everything to it. So omnipresent, uh, uh, omnipotent, omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowledge. So we say God is all of these things, meaning he has all knowledge. He's everywhere all the time. He's all-powerful. And so if you take a look at the uh, outline on the insert in your worship folder on the other side of the scriptures I was just reading, it's the same one we've been using uh, as we work through this series. And so this morning, uh, we're going to take a look at first adoring God because he is the only one who knows everything. As the sermon title suggests, he's the only know-it-all, something you and I struggle with, some of us more than others, uh, but he's the only know-it-all. How we sinfully grasp for that omniscience is because being a know-it-all feeds our ego. Um, We can embrace our limits in light of that to trust God and find contentment in his management of the future. The fact that he does know everything, he's got it. It's okay, right? We can relax and trust. And finally, the power to do that, of course, is in the gospel, but it's specifically in knowing that you're fully known in the gospel uh, that really cures you to need to be a know-it-all. As the the little paragraph there at the top of the uh, outline suggests, this is the one we've had up here since we started the series. We are made in God's image, which means we are meant to be like God, but only in some ways. There are some parts of godness that belong to God alone. Therefore, to be fully human, we not only reach by God's grace for God-likeness, but also, again, by grace, we embrace our own limits and we confess, there is none like you. You are great. Amen? Uh, Amen. Yeah, I'll I'll say it for you. Don't worry. It's okay. One of those days, it's going to be one of those days. Okay, do you ever find yourself in conversations with people who the most... The, uh, most of the time in the conversation, they, their response to you or the words come out of their mouth are something like, oh, I know. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Yeah, oh, oh, I know. Do you ever have this conversation? Do those people drive you nuts? Right? Maybe you are those people. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Well, with some of you, yeah, I do know because I've had the conversations with you. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard. You've had conversations with me. I'm sure I do that, too, depending on the topic, right? Um, but are you more of a person who says, I'm not sure, I don't know, I have no idea in your conversations? Those are two very different kind of conversations and two very different experiences. And I think what we learn today is that we, in the gospel, hopefully will become more like the second type of person. Uh, and we'll take what we don't know to the Lord and trust him with it. So first, how is he the only know-it-all? He alone knows everything. Let's adore him for a minute. We've been reading uh, from A.W. Tozer, who wrote a book called Knowledge of the Holy. And I want to quote him uh, this morning in his description of God's omniscience. This is just, this is beautiful. It's almost lyrical. Uh, It's almost like a song. So let me read it to you. He says, God knows instantly and effortlessly, I can't even talk, 
God knows instantly and effortlessly, that's it, all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit and all spirits, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, every plurality and all pluralities, all law and every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, enigmas, feeling, desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, personalities, all things visible and invisible, in heaven and on earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven, and hell. And because God knows all things perfectly, he knows no thing better than any other thing, but all things equally well. He never discovers anything. Uh, He's never surprised, never amazed. He never wonders about anything, nor, except when drawing men out for their own good, does he seek information or ask questions. That's, that's beautiful, isn't it? That's stunning to think about. Have you ever thought about the fact that you learn something new every day doesn't apply to God? I mean, it applies to you and I, hopefully. I was reflecting on this, knowing that, uh, that I was uh, up to bat this week uh, as we were on vacation uh, a couple weeks ago, and we we're hiking in the uh, mountains of Western North Carolina. And the thought occurred to me as we're walking through one day, because uh, we like to hike every day, and typically it's where we, what are we going to do today? Jamie says to me, uh, "We're going to go over this hike." And okay, w- when do you want to leave? Well, as soon as the kids are ready, and then we finally leave about noon, and then we get out there. And we, oh, I'm hungry. Okay, so then we have to eat lunch. And we finally get on the hike. And about halfway through the hike, is it done yet? Are we almost there yet? Right? No, it really is great. And we have a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> I promise. We have a lot of fun doing it. But as we're walking along, the thought occurs to me, you know, God knows the name of every plant and tree and critter in this forest. Every single one. And there's like millions of them, it felt like. He, he knows how many feet it is from the top of one of those mountains all the way to the valley. Not because he learned them, but because they originated in him. He's limitless in his knowing. He's not merely knowledgeable, right? Mark Twain said uh, something funny, go figure, uh, and it goes like this. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he'd learned in seven years. Uh, and, And it's funny because getting older means growing in knowledge, right, on the one hand. But it also means, and those of you who are older, please amen when I say this, it also means growing in our awareness of just how little we really know, right, of all that's out there. Thank you, right? And that's an irony, of course. Uh, Because the older we get, we find we actually don't know as much as we thought. And then we reach a point where we start forgetting things. Dadgummit. Right? I mean, this is just awful. But here's the amazing thing. God doesn't have that experience. He, He is not like us. There is none like him. He knows, get this, he knows the number of stars in the Andromeda galaxy. He knows how many times it actually Lightning bolts came out of the sky last night around 6 o'clock right here. That was a wicked one, wasn't it? Woo. But he knows how many times lightning struck. 
There's no scientific, I'm sure that they've tried to create a computer program, meteorologists have to figure that out, but really they don't exactly know. He does. He knows the number of hairs on your head, whether that's very few or a lot. The point is, he knows. He knows the molecular structure of DNA, and he knows how many steps you took last week. Now, of course, if you have a Fitbit, you know how many steps you took last week. And that's part of the problem of how easily prone we are to grasp after knowledge and how dangerous technology has become in our hands. And so that leads me to uh, sin, how we sinfully grasp for this omniscience, this know-it-allness. Well, the wonderful thing about being an image bearer of God is he's made us like him in many ways. He's made us creative and he's made us ex exploratory. We, we, we can explore the world around us. But uh, the book that we have been uh, referencing throughout this series uh, by Jen Wilkin, uh, she says this in it. While it may be unclear if God has placed limits on how much knowledge the human race can explore, he has clearly placed limits on, limits on how much knowledge any one human can consume or use, right? See, the problem is our culture has rapidly and carelessly pushed the envelope on these limits. We have a treasure trove of information at our fingertips, literally at our fingertips in a way unlike humanity's ever experienced. If you needed to look something up used to, where would you have to go? The library, or maybe one of those Encyclopedia Britannica sets that the nice person who walked to your door through your neighborhood, was trying to sell, and, and, and you bought one, a whole set. That's how we used to have to look that up. Now, we literally can be walking along, and if you have a pair of AirPods, uh, or you have one of those Google machine things, you just say, hey Siri, what's the species name of the whatever? I mean, it's really incredible. And so it's Obviously, though, changing our desire for and attainment of knowing it all. We covet divine omniscience and our consumption of information that we think will lead us to knowledge is evidence of this. But it's this availability of information. It's the availability that increases the temptation. And the problem is unmeasured consumption of information doesn't lead to more peace or more control, for that matter. It actually creates more dissonance and more chaos in our life. While it certainly feels good to be able to look up an unknown fact on Google, studies have shown the negative effects of information overload. In fact, that's a term scientists are using now. And some of the negative effects are things like shortened attention spans, weakened ability to focus, diminished ability to decide, lots of paralysis of analysis. Most profound and troubling, though, perhaps, is, is we have... We have so much information coming at us, in other words, we know so much, it, it, it's often killing, or they're finding at least, that it is killing our ability to be empathetic, especially among the young. One sociologist warns this, in a media culture in which violence and suffering become an endless show, be it in fiction or in infotainment, indifference to the vision of human suffering gr gradually sets in. It's, it's, it's dangerous, right? And some of us have experienced this. You know firsthand what I'm talking about. But the most pronounced and pernicious effect of our craving to know it all, I believe, is in pursuing knowledge that isn't ours to manage or even know. 
the desire to manage the future as well as manage other people's lives fuels anxiety, and it's just exhausting at the end of the day, let's be honest, right? The sin in both is that we don't trust God to manage that knowledge, and we think we can do better. So first, a craving for the knowledge of the future. Well, that reveals itself in what we all have is an unhealthy dependence on technology and information. From an obsession with the calendar app, right? What, what, what do I have this week? I mean, you, you and I can't even think of what we have this week anymore. We've got to check the dumb phone with the app and the calendar. Oh, oh, I've got that. Yeah, I've got that. Yeah, I've got that. And if it's not in my phone, I'm not going. So, it, you know, if you want to make an appointment with me or you want to get together, uh, make sure that I, you know, write it on, on my phone, right? I mean, that's how obsessive we are. We want to manage our way through life. We have, if you're like me, you might obsess about checking the weather. I'm actually thinking I can manage where the storm is going. Right? But here's the deal. We try to keep surprises to a minimum, but you don't know. You don't know. You have no idea whether you'll die today, whether your house is going to burn down in a freak accident, whether you'll find out you have cancer. Because you're not going to get a calendar invite for those things. And we forget that there's far more we don't know than we do know, but we're trying desperately to manage it. And technology has given us the illusion and created the allure that we actually can. But here's the other craving, knowledge of other people in their lives. Of course, social media has fed this craving like nothing before, right? And the scriptures call this meddling, or as Connie Lear says, meddling. You're meddling. Stop meddling, Jonathan, she'll say. Um, social media invites meddling. It feeds on it, right? It creates it. And one way to minimize the temptation, of course, is stay away from it. Uh, but again, the sheer volume of information that's offered by people on their lives or their opinions is overwhelming. It creates lots of worry and concern, you know? You ever checking Facebook and you see that somebody puts something on there and, you know, you're already kind of iffy about them. Oh, I don't really know about them. And then you read something that they write for the world to, to read and you go, yeah, I'm really worried about them. And you might say that to someone close to you. I'm really concerned for so-and-so. Well, really what that means is you would like an opportunity to sit and gossip and judge them for a few minutes in a conversation with this person that you're having. And the reason is we weren't made to consume or know all the knowledge that's being put out there. We just weren't. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul warns about the power and allure of knowledge. It puffs us up, he says, filling our ego like a balloon. The temptation of being a know-it-all doesn't lead to building others up. He says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And the temptation of doing that doesn't lead to building others up. It leads to pride, it leads to envy, it leads to rage. The difference is loving and being loved. Uh, more on that in just a minute. So how can we embrace our humanity? I mean, this is a huge problem. Uh, how does coming to grips with our limits affect this temptation? How can we rest? Well, there are some scriptures uh, both 
on the insert and in the worship folder that I just want to reflect on for a few minutes uh, as we think about this. The first is Psalm 139. So if you'll look at Psalm 139, uh, the first four verses are there for you on the insert. Um, Psalm 139 is an incredibly uh, comforting psalm if you're a Christian. Notice some of the things David says in the psalm. You and I can't possibly know everything there is to know about a subject. You can't. You spend days and days on Google searching out information. But God has searched us through and through, David says. He, in fact, knows everything there is to know about you, more than you know about you. He knows everything there is to know about you. And if you know what, or excuse me, if he knows what you're going to say before you say it, verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Wow, right? If that's the case, then surely, surely he can be trusted to manage your future. If you're here and you're not a Christian, let me say, it might seem weird to find security in this description of God's knowledge of me. It sounds a little spooky, doesn't it? He knows what I'm going to say before I say it. Well, then why do I say stupid things? Why doesn't he stop me? Trust me, had that prayer many times, or had that thought. Why did I just say that? I have no idea. What are you doing, God? You're supposed to know what I'm going to say first and stop me, right? You're supposed to correct me. Help me out here. But it's not weird, it's not hokey, it's not spooky. Here's why. The reason is that the intimacy it reveals about God shows that he's personal, that he's personally invested, that he's personally connected. You know it all together. And in the Old Testament, the word for know implies some sort of intimacy. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me out. You have done a Google search of me, and you know me. You know me. This should be comforting. A person who finds contentment in embracing their limits and can trust God with his management sounds like our call to worship, which is from Psalm 131. So look back in your worship folder at uh, the call to worship. forgot to bring it up here, so let me turn to it real quick. This is, this is really amazing. Is really amazing because this person says, David, O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Do you have a heart at rest? Do you, do you find that you're free from the anxiety of human not knowing? What does that even look like? I think trusting God means saying every day as you wake up and as you go throughout your day, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. I have calmed and quieted my soul, hope in the Lord. Because one leads to the other. You can't calm and quiet your soul unless you don't occupy yourself with things too great and too marvelous for you. When you face uncertainty or you're in a situation where you don't have the answer, do you ever say, oh, God only knows, or the Lord only knows? Anybody ever done that? I, I, I do that all the time, particularly in traffic. When do you, what do you think's wrong up there? Oh, God only knows. Who knows, right? 
And usually when we're doing that, we're saying it out of exasperation or frustration. Well, what if your answer in those moments was out of assurance and quiet? God alone knows. If I did that, my family would look at me like I had five heads. I mean, they'd be, but what? Seriously, come on, you don't really believe that. You don't really live like that. But what if you could? What if you did? It would be a calming, quiet, rest free from anxiety life of human not knowing. Again, uh, Jen Wilkins says this, how different my ability to learn what mattered would be if I were to calm and quiet my soul instead of subjecting it to a cacophony, that's just another word for chaos or noise, a cacophony of must-read articles and videos that promise they'll change my life at the 439 mark. How different my ability to perceive God would be if I traded mental hoarding and meddling. I love that phrase, mental hoarding and meddling. I love that phrase because I I was caught there. Holy smokes, I I do that all the time. How how different my ability to perceive God would be if I traded that for a well-ordered, uncluttered mind. We have been given only so much mental capacity and no more. Those who fear and trust the Lord honor the limits he has placed on their minds, trusting what they do not, cannot, or should not know to the one who does perfectly. So you can trust him because he's not going to be caught off guard, right? He didn't somehow yesterday at 6 o'clock realize, oh my gosh, there's a lot of red over Polk County, over Winter Haven, My people in Winter Haven, there's a lot of red. That means a lot of light. What are we going to do about that? No. He wasn't caught off guard by that. You can trust him because he won't forget. He knows all there is to know and hasn't forgotten, unlike some of us who have learned a lot in life. I think of some of the smartest people I know uh, along the way, those younger than me, uh, around my age, and and, and older than me and particularly the older than me's, who I have a lot of respect for and really are, like, wow, they're brilliant. Are, it's, it's funny to see them humbled by the fact that they forget things. Wow, I, I don't know as much as I thought I did. You can also trust him, though, because his plan won't be thwarted. He won't be caught off guard. He doesn't forget. His plan won't be thwarted. So where does this power come from? Where does the ability to come in and trust and live out of Psalm 131. Well, of course, from the gospel, as we've been doing each week, ending there with gospel power. And I put it like this on the insert, knowing that you're fully known in the gospel is the cure for needing to be a know-it-all. And I want to refer you to the assurance of pardon. Uh, Joe read uh, earlier, and he reminded us that even though this is from the Old Testament, it is very much about Jesus. This is a powerful reminder So look at it closely uh, with me, that God can't forget. He's incapable of it since he holds all knowledge. Well, what's the evidence? So looking at at Isaiah 49, what's the evidence the Lord points to when, when we're prone, like Israel, to feel that God is distant, that he's forgotten us? But Zion said, verse 14, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. What's the evidence? Behold, look, pay attention. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. 
like a tattoo. And if your faith is in Christ, he can't forget you. God himself would ultimately offer up his hands to be nailed, to be engraved with a nail on the cross in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The cross is a permanent assurance that God's covenant will not be broken. And when the Bible says he remembers our sins no more, it's not that God has memory lapses. It's not that he no longer remembers our sins. It's that he no longer remembers our sins as ours. He remembers our sins as Jesus's. And now hidden in Jesus, you are known as his, as his child, as his friend, as his beloved. And the proof of it is that you are tattooed on the hands of God. There's an old hymn, uh, my name from the palms of his hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart, it remains in marks of indelible grace. If that doesn't give you security and assurance, do you know, do you know in the deepest depths of your soul that you are known Joe sent me a quote this morning from uh, the, the, the book The Nightingale, which I think is, you know, sold a bazillion copies, uh, New York Times bestseller, uh, Amazon, Kindle, all that stuff. And there's some line in there about, you know, I used to think being loved or admired was the thing, but now I think maybe it's just I need to be known. I want to be known. Do you know that you're known? In 1 Corinthians 8, Verse 3, Paul says, after he says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. In fact, if anyone imagines he knows something, he doesn't know. But if anyone loves God, what happens? If anyone loves God, he's known by God. And that is the knowledge that will free you from needing to be God, to be managing too much. Knowing that will free you to relax and rest in the knowledge that God knows amidst all the uncertainties that lie before us. Maybe you've planned a future that hasn't panned out like you thought. Maybe you really are fretful about the unknowns that are coming soon in, in your life. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 12. Paul says that the knowledge which puffs up will pass away, but love, love will never end. And right now, we only get a dim glimpse of knowing the love of God in Christ Jesus. But the day is coming when we, we will fully know. He says, now we see in a, a mirror a dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Okay, look there, verse 12. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. But then what does he say? He says, right now, we might not know fully. But what? Right now. We're fully known. Now, how great is that? And then lastly, in Ephesians 3, knowing the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, any other knowledge of any other subject you could master or exhaust doesn't compare to the love of Christ. That's what Paul's saying. It's an inexhaustible spring of living water. You'll never reach the end of the course. You'll never get to the point where you arrive, Right? You, go, you want to be a doctor, you go through undergrad, then you go to medical school, then you do your internship, residency, then they give you your license and you can do surgeries or you can see patients. But you still don't know everything there is to know about the subject that they've put an MD behind your name with, do you? Well, those of you who are doctors hopefully can say, no, I don't. I'm still learning. We're all still 
learning. And the love of Christ, in uh, God in Christ, surpasses all that knowledge, knowing that God fully loves you, fully knows you, from top to bottom, inside and out, and he loves you anyway, is both humbling and empowering. It humbles you out of needing to know everything, and yet it empowers you to pursue knowing him. Knowing him. Because if the love of Christ is the best thing, it surpasses all knowledge, then that ought to be what we spend our lives really seeking and pursuing a knowledge of. And let the future, and let our propensity to meddle just fade into the distance as we meditate on, as Joe mentioned earlier, whatever's noble, whatever's um, uh, beautiful, whatever's good, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, think on those things because they all flow from the fountain of living waters himself. So let me pray uh, as the band comes back up and let's ask for this knowledge to come home to our hearts and that God would change us into true humans. Oh, Father, would you make us limited and lowly? Would you make us quiet and content? Help us to know. Help us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we'd not be full of ourselves or the business of other people or, or just want knowledge for its own sake, but full of the fullness of God, as Paul says. Father, would you satisfy us with that? And help us rest content and confident in your knowing of all things. Thank you that we're fully known by you and you love us anyway because of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. And so before you go or as you're going, uh, we forgot to mention the greeting earlier. Um, and so greet one another uh, before you scatter off to the four winds, okay? Uh, it, it's a blessed time. It's a great time during our service. So uh, take the opportunity now uh, to get to know those around you uh, or maybe someone that you've never met before. The good news of this benediction is that as you go, the promise of him going with you is, is, is these words. It's inherent in these words. It's present in these words. So as you, some of you open your hands and, and you take the words, uh, take, them, take them as him coming into you. Uh, and it's the promise that as he goes with you, he promises to speak whatever it is that you need to speak and whatever it is you need to know, he knows ahead of time. Find comfort in that. Find security in that. And as we sang earlier, just beg for the grace to trust him more as you go out uh, into whatever it is that you face when you leave here. So receive these words, okay? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.